God. Oh, my goodness. You know, just to, even just seeing what was going on today just gave me such confidence that, you know, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. God's up to something. He's doing something. There's this momentum and flow that's happening. And we have a choice to make. We can hold on to that train and go on the journey with God. Or we can dig our heels into the ground and miss out on all the amazing things that we have to, to see in the years and the, the months and the years ahead. You know, it was the generosity of people. By the way, we're here debt free. Oasis Church is debt free. Hallelujah. You know, I would love to be personally debt free, but I'm not. But Oasis Church is debt free because of the generosity of our people. When we first started and we had nothing and we were living in a high school every Sunday, you know, inhabiting for our church service. And we, Christy and I, were bold enough to say, we think God is doing something amazing. We don't exactly know what it's going to look like. We don't know what our future address is going to be. But I just know that something amazing is going to happen. Who's with me? And 30, 40, 50 people said yes. Crazy people that they were. And they all gave a miracle offering that first year, that second year. And that was the money that we needed to start this church that we're in today. The curtains around you, they don't look like much. That cost us $30,000. The classrooms that we built from scratch cost us $40,000, $50,000. And we were able to pay with our money for all of those things to happen because people believed that God was up to something amazing. And these things are happening. So our kids get to worship with us. We get to worship. We get to introduce more people to Christ every single week because people were willing to go on that journey with us. And that's what we're asking you to do with us, to take that next step. We don't know where exactly where it's going to lead us to, but we know it's going to be an amazing journey if we're willing to hold on for the journey, hold on for the ride. Man, today was so good. And I love what Janelle said during worship was, um, behold, I'm doing a new thing. And I believe that with all my heart, that God is doing a new thing. It's in our midst. There's something going on. There are streams appearing in the wilderness, uh, refreshing. And I love that, you know, prophetically, God gave us that name, Oasis Church, and it really speaks to who we are as a church, that there is refreshing to be had. There is freedom to be found uh, here at Oasis Church. So um, anyway, look, um, enough of all of that chit-chat. Um, we're going to get into our, our series, which is Jesus and Money. Um, and to be honest with you, it's really going to be great. I know that we, the minute you see that word money, you think, oh, here we go. The cynic in us, in us Aussies, goes, hang on a minute, the church guy's talking about money, this cannot end well. Um, but I think there's a lot for us to learn about what Jesus had to say about money. And if you've been with us for the last few weeks, we've been exploring the Beatitudes. And in the Beatitudes, I, d I don't know about you, but I, I discovered that Jesus was always leading people toward life. And every time I look to Jesus, I find that he's leading me toward life. He's not hitting me with a stick. He's not making me do something that I don't want to do, but he's leading me toward life. And that's what Jesus does in our lives. He's leading us, always leading us forward into life. So look, we don't like talking about money, especially us Aussies. We're pretty tight-lipped about that. And, you know, we don't stand around at barbecues and tell each other what we earn and what we're doing with our money. And we kind of keep all of those cards pretty close to our chest. Uh, but Jesus, on the other hand, he actually went straight for the jugular with money a lot. 
And he didn't dodge around the, you know, he wasn't worried about offending people when it came to money. He just went straight for it. And he actually spoke about money so many times, it was almost the most popular thing that he talked about. Can you believe that? The only thing that he talked more about was the kingdom. The only single topic. But he talked about money a lot. Um, so if it's okay for Jesus to talk about money, it's okay for us to talk about money. And in fact, it's healthy for us to talk about money and explore what Jesus' perspective is on money. So we've got this series ahead of us that we're going to talk about money. And we're going to open it um, with these two parables that are found in Matthew 13. So uh, they're up on the screen right now. And it's, they're the parables of the, uh, the worker in the field and the parable of the, the merchant. Um, so let me read these out for you. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and he sold all that he had and he bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant is looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away, he sold everything he had and he bought it. So we've got these two stories that Jesus is telling. They're almost identical. They're slightly different. One of them is just a worker in a field. is probably a poor man. The other one is a, a wealthy merchant. But they both find this treasure of extraordinary value. You've got one guy who's the worker. He's not really looking for anything in particular. He's just farming, you know. He's just working the, the ground. Uh, the other guy, the merchant, is actually looking for something. He's actually in search of a pearl. And uh, just to give you a little tiny bit of context, this buried treasure in the ground was actually a common occurrence back then because there was no banks, so you couldn't go and put your treasure into a bank. Um, people would hide it under their mattress, whatever wealth that they had or some secret place. Or if there was a, a band of raiders coming to raid the village, they would go out and they'd bury it somewhere in the ground, a secret place that no one could find. Uh, and that was their way. So if that particular person was unfortunately killed in that raid, then that treasure would remain in the ground, unfound. And so it was for this guy who was working his field. And again, with the merchant, there actually was this commerce that took place with pearls. It was a form of trade, and pearls were very valuable things. They're very rare things, and so people would buy and sell them as a way of transacting value and money. So we've got these two stories. Um, <coughs> but yeah, just to kind of paint a picture of this worker who's in a field, he is just working this field. He was probably working that field for many, many years. He could have been working that field for 20 years and not realizing that there was a treasure to be found. And then one day he discovers it. Can you imagine his joy? Can you imagine? It's like winning the lotto. It's like going from being a subsistence farmer to all of a sudden... Wow, you've, you've won the lotto. You won over a million dollars. The joy that he must have felt. The joy. It's just like Sonny Walders kicking that winning goal for the Dockers. There's a lot of joy when that happens. So these are the questions that I want to pose today. Is, okay, so if the kingdom of God is so amazing, if it's so incredible, it's like a treasure to be found with great joy, then why don't we act that way? Why don't we jump, jump into the kingdom with that same enthusiasm and delight? I've got a couple of things that I want to put to you 
about why we don't really dive into the kingdom of God. Why do we don't take that deal of a lifetime that the merchant discovered um, as we do with Jesus? The first one is this. <coughs> to be honest, I think we live in a life or in a world, a society, that we've just got way too many options. We've got too many options. Too much choice in our life. Matt Sen over here introduced me to KO very recently, which is, a, for those who are not into sports, it's a sports app. So you can watch... It's pretty much Netflix for sports, right? You can, you can watch hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of different types of sports. Um, you can watch the commentaries. You can watch the replays. You can watch shorter games. You can watch longer games. You name it. You can, you can watch different angles. I mean, you got it. Choices. Choices. And so Matt Sen watches a lot of cricket, I believe. Uh, a lot of late nights. Um, and Marari is really good about it. You know, she lets you, she encourages you even. Maybe it's Netflix for you. Maybe you like watching movies and like you can turn on Netflix and you, you could spend the next few years trying to get through everything that's on Netflix. I mean, there's no end to the choice that you have. You know, these days you want to buy something. You don't just go down to your local Kmart to buy yourself a new pair of sneakers. You can go online now. And there's hundreds of online stores for you to choose the best pair of sneakers that you could possibly find at the best possible price that you could possibly find. So you could spend hours and hours and hours looking for that perfect buy, that perfect purchase. And so we've got choice. We're so spoiled for choice. And some might say, well, choice is a good thing. Yes, to some extent it is. But unfortunately, that leads us to becoming distracted. I think we just live in this distracted society. We're just so freaking distracted. I mean, who doesn't walk around with their phone notification? Blip. Oh, what's this all about? It's something on Facebook. It's something, a message from somebody. It's an email. It's some, something, some, some new sports results. Something is there to distract you from you getting on with your life. And so we live in this distracted society. So you ask me, well, what on earth has this all got to do with being distracted? It's got to do with finding the treasure in the field. I just think to myself that what if we're missing out on what we, what should could actually be right there? And I was thinking, what would it have been like for that worker in the field's neighbours to, to discover that he's found the treasure, he, he went out, he sold everything that he had, every possession that he had, the microwave, the dishwasher, the car, every the coffee machine. Oh, that would have been tough, but yeah, got rid of the coffee machine. Everything had to go so that he could buy this field. So he had nothing left except he had the field. And everyone would have been scratching their heads. What on earth is he doing buying that field? It's not even a good field. The soil's not really that good. You know, it's all rocky. What on earth would he do using all of his savings just to buy that field? And then, aha, uh -huh, the moment comes... And the guy's, you know, pulls out the treasure. Next minute, you know, he's walking down the street with his Gucci chain and fur coat. And, and everyone's like, ah. And a little bit of jealousy, right? Ah, you know what? That, I, I've walked past that field so many times. I've even farmed in that field. That could have been me. That was under my nose all that time and I didn't even realize. And I think that's my point. We... We have potentially a treasure right under our noses. We don't even realize. We miss it because we're so distracted. 
Here's my other point. And these are, these are first world problems, right? The next thing that I think keeps us from embracing this treasure is a fear of missing out. Or FOMO, as we like to call it. FOMO, fear of missing out. You know, if we boil that fear of missing out down to its essentials, it's really just fear, isn't it? It's fear walking around in a cooler pair of sneakers. That's all it is. Fear of missing out. And we do that, don't we? We're, we're so worried about missing out. We buy things that we don't really need to buy. We do things that we don't really need to be doing. We, we are friends with people that we probably don't need to be friends with because we're so worried about missing out. Who remembers this craze of fidget spinners? Come on. Wasn't that a great thing? And there was a time when every kid in town had a fidget spinner. That was the cool thing to have. And it, you even saw adults with fidget spinners. It's like, grab one off my kid. Hey, give me that st stupid thing. Ooh, ooh, these things are cool. <laughs> so funny. You know, we went to Bali and um, there was fidget spinners. You know, every street, street seller worth his salt was selling these fidget spinners. I was so caught up in the moment, like, our kids don't have fidget spinners. I mean, they're going to grow up not knowing, not realizing what it's like, the joy. There could be educational purposes in it. I don't know. So I probably spent four times what I was supposed to spend for this fidget spinner. And then one day dawns, I don't know, collectively across the land, everyone goes, fidget spinners are out. <laughs> don't need them anymore. Like, we got the educational value out of it. We got the, the weird little feeling that you have. So we all move on. Why do we do that? The other thing is, um, the other thing about fear is it makes us hold on tighter to things we probably don't need to be holding on to. And I've coined this phrase, follow, follow, fear of losing out, fear of losing out. We get so follow sometimes. If I'm fearful about money, I want to hold on to it tightly and I'm scared of losing it. So even though I realize that maybe being generous is a good thing, I can't do that because I'm afraid that if I give it away, I won't have any more and I'll, I'll get poor. If I'm fearful about losing friendships, I'm going to maybe hold on to friendships that I don't really need to hold on to because I'm, a, I'm scared that if I let go of these friendships that are not healthy, I'll end up with no friends. Or maybe it's you know, a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend that you're holding on to that relationship longer than you should be because you've got this follow going on. You could be fearful about taking risks because what if I take the risk and it goes wrong? So I'm not going to let go of the things that I have in order to have what God is leading me toward. You know, well, I watched this, uh, health, this uh, nature documentary when I was a kid and it's just really stuck with me. And it was the way these African um, hunters caught monkeys. So what they would do is uh, in, the, in the root of a tree, in between the roots, they would they see the monkey. Wait till the monkey's there watching them. Grab a handful of nuts and put it in the in the roots of the tree, and the monkey'd watch. And then the the hunter would walk away, a safe distance, and hide. And the monkey would walk up and go, "Idiot! I just saw him hiding nuts." And he reaches down in between, slips his hand in, grabs the nuts, goes to take his hand out because he's got a fistful of nuts. He can't get his hand out from between the roots, and he's stuck. And the, then the hunter 
walks calmly up to the monkey, who's by now freaking out, going, I've got to get away. But he can't because he doesn't want to let go of his nuts. He's, hitting, he's like freaking out, I've got to get out. But he just doesn't want to let go of what's in his hand. And he just doesn't think, I've just got to let go of these nuts. He can't and he won't. I won't let go of these nuts. These are too valuable. And so he gets caught by the hunter. He doesn't even have to run after this monkey. And I think that's, I think, to be honest, we're like monkeys, aren't we? Let's be honest. And how many people miss out on what they could have, what God really wants for them, because they're not willing to give up some of the things they don't even really need. God's calling us to let go of things. And, and if he wants a plan for your life, sometimes it's going to involve letting go, being willing to let go of the things we don't even really need. If we can do that, we can get free. All right, so what do we need to do? Three things. First thing, we've got to ditch the options. We can't live like we've got too many options. If we live that way, we're going to get stuck. We've got to lose the options. You can't love God and money at the same time. Jesus made it clear. You can't live them both at the same time. We want to have it all. We want to have a bit of Jesus and a bit of money and a bit of this and a bit of that. And, and we, we try and shoehorn God into our current lifestyle. And then we question, you know, why things are not working out for us. It's not going to work out. You've got to let go and just have one option. Live your, you've, like I said last week, live your life with focus. We've got to learn to live our lives with one thing in mind. So we've got to commit to selling everything like the worker did, sell everything in order to have the one thing that's actually worth value. The second thing that I find so interesting, and this is what we need to do too, is embrace joy. We've got to embrace joy. It says that the worker in the field, he went in his joy and sold all that he had. It wasn't like, oh, I've got to sell my microwave oven. I've got to sell my chariot or whatever it else was that he had to get rid of. He was like in his joy because why? He knew that what he was going to get was far more valuable than what he was getting rid of. We've got to embrace it with joy. And I think, to be honest, the first step is the realization, hey, there's something here for me. The second step is to allow that joy to rise up because joy just overwhelms the fear. Joy overwhelms the fear. You're not going to be so worried about the future because you've got this joy. This joy that's rising up on the inside of you. There's something better for me if I'm going to walk down this road. Third step is that we need to learn to trust. Learn to trust. You know, you, you want to you wanna get free, but you're sitting on the sidelines still. You're sitting on the sidelines watching the other guys have fun and you want to get in there, but you're a little bit scared. And I think so often it's that thing of trust. Am I willing to trust God? Does he really have my back? Is he really going to look after me if I take this leap of faith? And how am I going to tell you any other way except you've got to try it? You've actually got to take a leap of faith with God. You actually have to trust him to discover that he's trustworthy. You know, there's another way that we can look at this these parables if we turn it on its head we can see that maybe 
Jesus was the merchant in this story. And maybe we are the treasure. Maybe we are the pearl of great price. Maybe Jesus was the one who was willing to give it all up, to sell it all, to pay the ultimate price in order to have the one thing that was worth more than anything to him. Maybe that. Maybe that is the heart of God. He would just go to any extent, pay any price to have that relationship with us. Now, I don't know about you, but nobody that I know has ever died for me except Jesus did. He was willing to die for me, give his life up for me. If there's anyone who's worth trusting, it's got to be Jesus for me. I've got to trust that. If I can't trust someone who's willing to go to that extent, I can't trust anybody. But I want to tell you that he's a trustworthy person. He is worth putting our trust into. You know, I could trust someone like that with my money. I could trust someone like that with my friendships and my relationships. I could trust someone like that with my future. Are you ready to trust him, church? Are you ready to put your hand into his hand and allow him to lead you where he wants you to go? Somebody who is willing to pay the ultimate price for you. Let's pray.